This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. experienced delight in watching those little ones uh, yes and and whether or not uh, what's, what's the youngest one I, I know everybody Sam, Sam did not relinquish those plants did you notice that <laughs> that same delight that you're experiencing now is the delight that God has for us how amazing is that And sometimes when we read this particular set of stories, when we go into the story of Adam made of the Adama, the clay, sometimes we don't go very gently with this story. Uh, We uh, hear our reading of a story where God pronounces everything very good, even after people are born, Mm -hmm. even after people are there. And sometimes we forget that, back to that sort of Um, uh, sort of cardboard cutout of the Bible that sometimes we carry around in our minds. It's a very flat. There's a kind of a buzz on this. Is that, are we okay with the sound? Yeah, okay. Maybe, yeah, turn it down a little bit. Can Can I still be heard? Okay, perfect. So I think maybe that's the sweet spot. So the, the challenge is that God cannot fit into a book. Like even me, right, little tiny puny me, when I come to write a sermon, you know, I get like eight double-spaced pages, and that's it. And I, I'm trying to write about something really big or, or communicate an idea or teach something that I think is really important for us to hear today. <clears throat> and I get this skinny little piece of paper with these little black lines on it. And that's all I can put down. And I can try. I can write smaller, but it's not going to help me. Right? God breathes life into the creation, and God breathes life into our Bible, but it's still just a book. And it cannot hold God or God's ideas or any of that. It helps us like a window, not a very good window at the moment, like a window to draw us in and help us to ask questions, help us to wrestle and help us to see. We're not off the hook for reading it just because it's not everything that is God. But neither are we bound between its pages as if this is all there is. For example, when we talk about the plants, the the Bible just tells us produced plant life. Well, that's two very brief words. We don't get a lot of words, right? They, they got to get the whole Bible out, and it's got to fit on top of a lectern. <laughs> but in your mind's eye, when I say plant life, tell me about the encyclopedia you imagine, plants of every kind that you have interacted with and grown or tried to or killed in the kitchen window and lamented. <laughs> this is so much bigger God is so big, we can't imagine how big. 
Sometimes when I preach, I lose my voice and I can't speak because I'm trying so hard to speak of that bigness and it's completely beyond me. I'm trying to communicate how deep and rich and wonderful it is. And when we limit ourselves, when we, when we start saying, well, it only says plant life, so I'm not really sure what that means is included, so let's make a list of what doesn't go in there. When we start doing that, we run into trouble. We run into trouble. So here we get this story of the beginning of humankind. From the red clay earth Adama comes the Adam. We use the pronoun he, but at this point, gender is pretty fluid. God is just creating something beautiful and alive, something in the image of God. It's a little later that we began to make the first divisions, and then there are more and more and more as more and more people come into our story. So. One of the problems that I have is that when we read this story, we get really, really focused on apples. <laughs> and in fact, we get focused on really bad apples. <laughs> but I'd like to maybe invite us to think about apples a little differently. So my great, my husband's, she sort of felt like mine, uh, grandmother, was named Grandma Bush. As short for Elizabeth, she was the youngest of nine children, and she couldn't quite say Elizabeth. It was a very big name. So she called herself Bush, and so did everybody else. So uh, Elizabeth, she, was a, she grew up on a farm in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota. She uh, was a farm girl, and she learned how to cook. And one of the things that she knew how to cook really, really well was apple pie. It was something that she just could knock out of the park. And when she uh, got older, she trained as a nurse and went to Los Angeles and apparently dated Bing Crosby. She didn't go on a second date with him because he drank too much and sang all the time. I kind of think if you date Bing Crosby, you should know what you're getting into. But there she was, and she would bake these beautiful pies, and all her friends would say to her, oh my gosh, you have to bring the apple pie. You're going to bring the apple pie. Oh my gosh, Bush is going to bring the apple pie. Until one day, somebody, I don't know, out of resentment or sulking, made a really mean and snide comment about the pies. And she never baked another one. I heard it said once that it's like one negative comment can take like nine or more positive reassurances to try to overcome. They go deep for us, and they hurt, and they last. And it makes something that had felt wonderful start to feel really crummy. But I wonder if that was really where we wanted to go from it. So in church, there can be a lot of meanness that goes around. And when we read the story of Adam and Eve, it gets interpreted for us that uh, all women are subhuman or fallen. 
All men are weak. God is vengeful. Um, we're all horrible sinners, uh, despicable. Some of us, most of us, can't even hope to be saved. I mean, the meanness sort of goes on and on. And I mean, I left church for a while, in part because I couldn't take the meanness of it. And I believed it. This is the worst part. I believed that what they said about that was true. And it wasn't until I reclaimed my faith and started looking back, reading the book, that I realized that I wasn't, I had read it with the wrong glasses on. Too often, and for those of who are listening today, I have put on a giant pair of glasses with the word condemnation written along the top. These are my condemnation glasses. And I'm going to look through Genesis, and I'm going to see who I get to condemn today. Ooh, look at that. Ugh, the whole earth seems fallen now. One bite of the apple, everything is ruined. I don't want to read with those glasses on. And I don't think they're real or fair. The story of Adam and Eve isn't about a historical couple who actually lived, was actually named Adam, and actually named Eve. <clears throat> Some of us are giggling. But for others of us, this is a real thing that we, in our desire, and let's, let's be generous here, in our desire to really know and to really understand if we could make it real somehow, that could make it deeper and richer and more meaningful. It's not a bad way of inquiring, but it can't be the only way, or we end up in trouble. What we have here is more like a recipe. What is it that goes into this humankind? And if you compare this story with other stories from the Middle East that predate it or come around at the time, the Sumerians, the Akkadians, remember that's where Abraham came from. The Egyptians uh, had a, have a long uh, had a relationship with Semitic peoples, with uh, Judean, Hebrew, Israelite theology. This story comes to us in conversation with those. And it's almost always a mix of, of earth and some sort of divine element. And in this story, what we get is so much more gentle and loving. Instead of being created to be slaves to the gods who are too lazy to do things for themselves. No, seriously, that's, that's why the Akkadian gods, um, they, they were tired and they needed someone else to mow the lawn. And so, ta-da, humankind. Instead, God brings Adam and Eve into this beautiful garden. This is modeled in some ways on the Babylonian stories, where the garden with the great big stairs were thought to be kind of temple-like, with God present in some way and the humans tending things so the God will stay happy and everything will stay in equilibrium. This is a different metaphysics than ours, isn't it? Very different. And yet it's, it's not violent and there's no condemnation. So John Walton writes about the Old Testament, and he explores the story of Adam and Eve in these contexts, and I really appreciated what he had to say. 
how he talked about how things get put together, how he talked about the Egyptian idea and the Sumerian idea and the Akkadians, and how creation can come out of warring gods or creation can come out of the loving act of God, and how you look at it and what that means to you matters. So when we have this Adam, this clay being, uh, the, uh, the, the word uh, Adam also can mean red. And so there's this idea of the life force, the life blood. That's all the terrestrial stuff. Adam is made from earth, from clay. That's the senses all come from there, uh, called the nefesh, the primed for the senses, smelling, touching, experiencing. Today we would call that subjectivity because we like big fancy words that end up in ology or ativity, but really it's just about what you experience and see and believe. And all these things are primed, but it's not alive. The earth is beautiful and created, rich and wonderful and ready for life. And that's where God comes in with this great, beautiful ruach breath of life. It's God's breath, not our breath, although we breathe it. It is gifted to us. Everybody who breathes is gifted this aliveness. There's no, um, there's no checkbox that you have to check to be good enough for it. And everything comes alive. The blood oxygenates. You can smell things in the air. The human body is wondrous. Do you know that there are over a trillion things that you can smell with your nose? I have it written here. And I'm trying to remember now the exact... Um, you smell with your body, not with your nose. That's the TED Talk. Jennifer Puznick. And let's see. So here's how the olfactory works. Their nose has all these receptors, and these molecules hang around the world. And when one of them gets into your nose, it has to find the exact right receptor to attach to, and then you can smell it. You experience that as a smell. So think about it as a, a port, a great big port. And a lot of ships are coming in. And there's all these different berths where the ships can fit. But uh, you got to be the right size ship to fit in there. And when you do, though, bing, the light goes off. Attention, attention, rotten eggs, run for it. <laughs> or attention, attention, apple pie. And then you're like, I think that's coming from Betty's house. I think I'll just say hi. I'm pretty sure I need something from that direction. Not only can the nose smell, but do you know your kidneys can smell? They have olfactory sensors. So do your blood vessels. Things can move around in your body, sniffing out the right birth to dock with. So we need a little less condemnation, maybe, and a little more wonder at this recipe that has brought forward humankind. What a cool recipe that is. 
here's another place where I want to pull the rug out a little from underneath the condemnation, folks. It was not a good thing that Eve and Adam disobeyed God. I'm not going to pretend it was. That's another sermon. And, you know, there's accountability when you do things you shouldn't do. What is different is that all is not lost. The doom flag doesn't come out. They are expelled from the garden. But this is what Adam has to say to his wife right after that happens. God has come in and said, oh my goodness, all these wonderful pronouncements that sound really scary. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you, even as you eat the plant's fields. Oh, this is going to be a real bummer to farm, I can tell. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land since it was taken. You are the soil, and to the soil you will return. And this has been, um, I think the dust is actually a better, but we're talking about soil dust. We're not talking about condemned dust, and that's part of this. So something really, the consequences have been laid down. There was disobedience, and there are consequences. But this is what Adam says to his wife in the very, very next verse. Not, I hate you, you're a subordinate human, and you made us all sin, and so from now on, all women are going to be blamed for sin for the rest of eternity. Never mind the word sin doesn't even show up until Cain causes a problem, but whatever. Adam turns to his wife, and he gives her a name. Now, I always know I'm in trouble when John calls me Rashenda. <laughs> Oops, what I do? Because he never calls me by my given name. He never calls me Rashenda. He always calls me sweetheart. I kind of like that, actually. But um, we have names for each other. We love each other. So Adam turns and turns to his wife, and he calls her... And he sees her anew. And he calls her Eve, life giver. He calls her Eve because she is the mother of everyone who lives. He has this moment of deep and beautiful revelation. I know that men fought to make their way so there was a space for them in the delivery room. And then when they participate in seeing what their wives and their girlfriends and the ones they love go through to have babies, there's this deep awe and respect that often forms there. She's a life giver. Something amazing and awesome moves through her to be born. Every one of us born through women. This recipe for this beautiful person includes the ability to bear life. Now, you would think that women would get very arrogant around this and obnoxious and hard to manage. Oh, sorry, step back, life giver coming through. <laughs> but this is where I like the story of Adam's rib, because I think it evens it up a little bit. Because even as every man and every person is born through women from now on. In the beginning, the first woman was born from the flesh of Adam. Fair's fair. 
We don't have to think of those stories in terms of condemnation and littleness. Do you see how different that story feels when we tell it just a little differently? And yet, we are in full allegiance to the book. We have just decided to look at it with a little different classes. Preconceived notions. Doesn't let you off the hook for grappling with the disobedience to God, but it does show that there's this great redemption that happens, that is possible. Those of us who have ever seen our children off to college, right? It's like you're terrified. They have to grow up. You can't shelter them forever. They want to grow up. They want to go out. And you know they might end up in the wrong part of town. But you have to let them go. And you have to let them try it. And what does God do when the first acts of caring that God does after they expel from the garden is he makes clothes? Just like any mom would. Probably writes their name in their underwear. <laughs> we have to be attentive not just to the parts that call us to repentance and call us to order and call us to humility. We also have to pay attention to the parts that tell us how God loves us that reminds us that we are wanted and cared for, that describes Adam and Adam and Eve as the recipe at the beginning, out of which so many variations are going to come. Immediately we start hearing about begatting and begatting and more begatting and more begatting, and there's a lot of begatting going on. These babies are not all born as identical clones to Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were not genetically prototypic. They were a recipe, a wonderful way it can be put together. Hmm, should I put cherries in mine? Okay, but you know, watch how many cherries because then it becomes an apple cherry pie. What kind of sugar should we use? Can we make a deep dish one? Can I make an apple pie cake? I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you will find it. And these variations are part of the beautiful created world. Plant life, humankind. Be careful not to make God small. All right, one last thing I want to say. So, our book, our Christology, which means what we think about Christ, all comes from times long, long, long ago. Um, and their metaphysics, what they thought and how they thought the world worked, is different than how we think. So we learn a lot by engaging that, but also by recognizing that God is moving still today also in what we think. And we have learned through our amazing science and our incredible peering scientists who look into microscopes that the human body has more bacterial cells in it by a factor of 10 than it does human cells. Wait, I gotta check the notes on this one. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and this is again a TED talk. Um, this one is uh, from uh, Bonnie Basler. I'm just gonna read this. I know you guys think of yourselves as human, and this is sort of how I think of you. There are a trillion human cells that make each one of us who we are and able to do all the things we do. But we have 10 trillion, ooh, I was right, factor of 10, 
10 trillion bacterial cells in you and on you at any moment in your life. So 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells are on a human being. And, of course, DNA, so you have about 30,000 genes in you as a person. It turns out you have 100 times more bacterial genes playing a role in you and on your life. At best, you're 10% human. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, but more likely, she says, optimistically, 1% human and 99% bacteria. I know everybody's going to go home and like get the bacterial soap out. It's not going to do you any good. I'm just going to tell you that right now. What an amazing... Talk about wondrous. Talk about wonder. So when we were created, this happened. How cool is that? So when we think about Christ and who Christ was, we start thinking about Christ being fully human as well as fully divine. Christ was covered in bacteria too. <laughs> and we haven't even begun to think about what this means for our Christology yet. We, I would love to read that book. Um, I am dying to see how we put this together and understand the rich variation of, variation of creation, the many tastes of that apple pie, the many ways it can be baked, the many beautiful presentations, each of us unique and all apple pie, even Christ. Christ had mitochondria in his cells that took him back the maternal line. Take that, church fathers. It also has chromosomes that bring him back into the male line. Woohoo! Abraham, yes! We are so linked. And the more we dig, the more wonderful and wondrous it becomes. Hold to the faith at the center of your life. Hold to read with the glasses that say God has sent his only son not to condemn the world but because he loved it. Those are your reading glasses. John Wesley read through these reading glasses. We love because God first loved us. Those were his reading glasses. Super important you don't read with the glasses on that say I hate everything and humans are terrible. That's not, that's not faithful, and it's not true. Embrace your mitochondria. Jesus did it. Right? How cool is that? Have faith in your wonderful being. Love the recipe that is your neighbor, even if it's a different recipe in some ways than your own. And remember that Christ partook of this as well. Praise be to God.